Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 28. This episode's for you if you're interested in managing other people. Maybe you're in an account manager role now and you're thinking that the next step up for you is going to be an account director role where you're going to be responsible for a team and you're wondering what skills you need and how you should prepare yourself for the role. So I've persuaded an expert to come and talk to us and we're going to talk all about how to manage other people and what skills you need to do the job effectively. So we're going to be covering things like the biggest changes people have to make when transitioning to managing others, some of the biggest mistakes people make when managing others for the first time, the top three things people should consider when wanting to make that move, and some examples of the most successful people in managerial roles. So lots, I hope, of value here and lots of tips and takeaways for you if you are thinking about this role. You may also notice that I'm quite familiar with the guest. This is because it's my brother, Matt Plant. He's been in training a lot longer than I have. He's been in training for over 20 years. He's worked with training companies like Hemsey Fraser, Virgin Atlantic. He was in the training department for the Energy Development Oman in the Middle East. And he's worked with clients such as Rolls-Royce, Cancer Research, the Bank of England, and many, many other organizations, helping them with training and general learning interventions for lots of different topics. So he's probably the most expert person that I know. And whilst I do have many years managing others, I was never officially trained. So I hope you come away with some value on this recording. So today I'm delighted to have my brother Matt to talk about managing others for the first time. And the reason I've invited him on to talk to me about this subject is twofold really. One, because agency account managers have been asking me about this for a long time. So I'm teaching them how to grow an account. But there's this other skill that they need, which is as they get more senior in the agency, they need to be able to manage people well. And they often question whether they're doing the right things. So it's a skill that I think is missing. I'm not the expert in this area, but my brother Matt is, and he's been training people for 20 years. And the second reason is that I'm actually going to feel more relaxed asking him questions because whilst I've been managing people for years, I've never actually had formal training. So I think during this session, it might turn into a bit of a therapy session of the things that I should have done better being a people manager. So Matt, can we start off just talking a bit about you briefly, your experience and how you help new managers? Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. Hopefully it doesn't get into a therapy session because <laughs> people are going to switch switch off. But yeah, so I've been in a manager or leadership trainer for around about 20 years now. So what I do is I offer a lot of different courses, mainly around management and leadership but some of them kind of drift into interpersonal skills as well. So what I do is I coach some new managers and in their kind of transition to being a manager. And also, you know, when we had face-to-face training, I did a lot of face-to-face training with new managers and new leaders and some senior leaders as well. Now it's more online, so I'm in online virtual world now. So I've worked in a lot of different companies as well. 
Okay, brilliant. So let's start off because I really would love this episode to be lots of takeaways for people who are listening to this thinking they're either in managing position or they're thinking about transitioning. So what are some of the biggest changes that people have to make when they transition into a position where they have to manage other people? Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, people think they have to have a personality change. You know, I have to change my personality because now I've got this role. But I think it's the opposite is true. You know, it's, it's being yourself. Because if other people see that you've changed, you know, you've got that kind of phrase where people, you've changed, you know, and you get that kind of stigma attached to you. So you don't need to change. But I think one of the things that I found with a lot of questions that I have in courses is now that they are managing their friends, you know, how does that work? And I always think it's good to have some kind of informal chat with people and just to say, you know, how have you found this, this change now? And try to address that elephant in the room, really, because sometimes we don't. And when it comes to giving feedback later on down the line, it can be awkward. So if we've already addressed it and said, look, there's going to be times when I'm going to give you feedback and you've got to give me feedback. I don't want it to be awkward. So when it comes to it, hopefully that helps. But I think changing your personality or feeling that you should is the wrong way to go with it. Mm, That's really good advice, actually, because I'm just thinking of the experiences I've had in the past where, you know, you're in a team and then one of you gets promoted above the team. And there might be resentment, mightn't there, in Oh, from the from the team members thinking well i i wanted to get promoted so like how do you even begin to to tackle that one yeah exactly and i do think if you're open and you're supportive to those people you know maybe they went for the job as well mm. you know so if you're supportive of them and you're open to talking with them not having a pen and paper in front of you recording what they're saying it's just an off the cuff maybe in a coffee shop just to have a catch up one-to-one and see how they're getting on and hopefully that will help rebuild the relationship do you know what that is such good advice and I remember kind of giving other people similar advice just go and have a coffee sit down and just have an informal chat about it and then that kind of relaxes everybody doesn't it you know just having that one-on-one how you're feeling about this and how are we going to manage this moving forward maybe I don't know but that's great advice yeah just make sure that the channels of communications are open no, I think yeah. that's, that's the first thing. You know, it can be quite tricky for people who, you know, you've just been working on your own and you're very task focused or project focused. But now you have this responsibility of dealing with a team and dealing with all the different maybe issues and problems with each person can be quite overwhelming. So it's just to be aware that there's going to be some time when you're going to have to be spending more time with people. It's getting that balance of, okay, where do I spend my time? Is it on tasks or is it on people? And there should be a balance there. And I think when you first become a manager, that's difficult. Uh, That's such a good point. Did you have people asking you the question, like, what is the right balance? Are people that specific? They want to know what percentage of their day should be task. Yeah, I, I do. And that's a tricky one to answer. Someone actually on my last course said, you know, how much time do I need to spend on this management stuff? Yeah. And that's really difficult to answer. I mean, because it depends on how many people you have in the team. And it also depends what industry you're working in as well. But yeah, so it, it, that's the tricky, tricky one to answer. What do you see as the biggest mistakes that people make when they're transitioning to managing other people for the first time? 
Yeah, I think one thing is a new manager wants to do a good job and they want to hit the targets, they want to get to the objectives. And what I see from people is that they take on too much and they become overwhelmed. And one of the reasons I I feel that's behind that is that they want to be able to answer questions. They want to be able to deal with situations and problems. And what that can lead to is a habit that the team come to them for the answers to everything. So if you're getting that as a habit, if you're getting people coming to you all the time, you will be overwhelmed. And and people expect that from you. So you almost become the guru, unbeknown to you. I'm going to confess something here. Yeah, because I think I fell into that trap myself, right? And it wasn't until I was being coached by someone else that they pointed out, because I had this open door policy when I was like leading publicists. And quite frankly, I loved helping and I still love helping people. But what I didn't realize was that having this open door policy meant that I was always receiving questions and being dragged into situations where I didn't need to be. So I was kind of evolving myself involuntarily. And it wasn't until my coach pointed out, because like you said, I got overwhelmed. I was frazzled and ended up staying there really late to catch up on my work in the evenings. And that just, I was, it was a downward spiral. And my coach said to me, well, you're getting your needs met. And I was kind of slightly horrified at that thinking, oh my God. And it was like a bit of a shot in the stomach, but he was right. You know, I love helping. So I'm putting myself in a position where I'm being able to help people. But as a result, I'm not doing my job. It was harsh, but true. You can fall into that rescuer position, you know, where you want to rescue everybody. And, you know, you see other people as being the victim almost. Oh, you've got too much work. Give it to me. Mm. And sometimes that satisfies our needs. You know, our needs of the the knight in shining armour. You know, I, I can rescue you. Um, but also it's almost like love as well comes into it, you know, because you feel loved. Mm. You feel loved because people need you. It's like that needing. I'm feeling more bad about myself as the more <laughs> we talk know. about this. What other mistakes do you see people making when they're managing other people? I was just going to say also, you know, you said about open door policy. When you say that to the team, you know, I've got an open door policy. How many people actually come through the door or get in contact with you? Do you go out and do you go approach them? That's what I'm getting at, really. So it's not like, oh, guys, come to me. It's open door. But then waiting for them to come to you can be tricky because they might not come to you. Or the same people come to you, like the same people, like the people that... Just in general, the whole team, really. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes people say, I've got an open door policy. Come and see me whenever you need me. And then a lot of managers leave it at that. But then... Why not get out and see them? You know what I mean? Why not I get what them? you're saying. I was try- I was thinking, where are you going with this? So basically what you're saying is it's wrong to say that. I mean, no one has an office nowadays, do they? It's all open plan. No. But what you're saying is, and this is something I read in a book about management, was where the leader would always come in and talk to everybody in the room, like, you know, acknowledge them and know their name or ask out, you know, and it was just that personal yeah. touch. And I just think that's really important when you're managing other people, just to, you know, to be that kind of, I'm not saying all day, every day chatting to people in the office, but certainly to be approachable <laughs> no. and have that personal touch. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it, it does feed into making people feel comfortable with you and the environment they're working in. You know, one thing that we were talking about was if you have people that are different from you, they might be more perhaps introverted and you're perhaps more extroverted. 
And it's appreciating that they bring different things to the party. The other way around as well, if you're the more the extroverted person and you're in, in the team, then the manager should be allow for that because you have different qualities that you can bring to the team as well. You know, it, it shouldn't be that if I am introverted, then everyone else should be introverted. You know, don't mm. don't make a noise kind of thing. You know, if we're working in an office environment, that is. But yeah. I think the whole essence of what we're talking about is being appreciative of other people's strengths and what they bring. That's so true. And are you saying that it's better to adapt your own style? Because actually, you've got to be a bit of a chameleon, haven't you, when you're managing different types of characters, different kinds of personalities. And I, I'm just conjuring up ideas of being managed in the past when, you know, you can think about a manager that only respected people that were like them, that had their mm. style and didn't really spend time with the ones that were, I don't know, less extroverted, for example. Yeah, it's, it's like have an appreciation of maybe adapting slightly. I'm not saying you have to change completely because that's that's unfeasible. And also you're going to spend a lot of energy doing that. And it's not, you know, that's not sustainable. So it's having an appreciation about how other people work as well. You know, if you look at communication styles, perhaps everyone's heard of communication styles. Some people need more detail. Some people need less detail. Some people need to, um, just to run with something. Some people need a bit more direction, maybe. You know, just moving on from communication styles, you could think about leadership styles as well. You know, if you have somebody that's new in your team, what do they need from you? Certainly, if you leave them alone and don't really give them any direction, they're going to perhaps fail. So, you know, that this is like a guy called Ken Blanchard. He came up with situational leadership. And, and this is basically what we're talking about. If you have somebody else who's got a lot of experience, maybe good competency levels, I may perhaps approach them differently, may give them a bit more autonomy or hands-off approach to them. So it's having an appreciation of who you have in your team as well. So how do you make that assessment as to which style you choose to manage someone else? Yeah, there's different styles. Obviously, without some kind of visuals, it's difficult for people to take in. But he talks about motivation levels and competency levels. And you can you could perhaps have an indication about where people are and also how do I approach them. So it talks about direction, coaching, supportive style and delegation style, which is a bit more hands off. So. Okay, so you've got to assess kind of how competent are they in this particular task? And therefore, what's required here of me? Do I have to be giving a bit more direction? Or can I just coach? So that's a really interesting, and I think a great takeaway, is to think about how competent that person is in that particular task. Yeah. And the other thing is ask them as well, mm. where do they think they are? Mm. You know, Because if we are just guessing, that's not going to be great. If you can ask them as well, you might be able to get some kind of what do you need from me? You know, some kind of assessment of where they are and then you'll know. So ask them as well. Don't just observe. And I suppose, again, from my own experience, if you then start giving too much direction to someone who's actually quite competent in that task, yeah. then you're micromanaging, aren't you? Yeah. They're going to feel like they're being micromanaged. And we all know what that feels like. And similarly, on the other end of the spectrum, leaving someone to just kind of fail, not setting them up for success, saying, okay, you know, okay, so it's the first time you've worked on a pitch, for example, do this, this and this, go and do it. And then they come back and haven't been able to do it because they've never done it before. And then you get sort of irritated with them or something. That's, again, not choosing the right style, is it? Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, and also people can regress as well. So they may lose a bit of competence. And the problem there is that the manager's treating them exactly the same as they've treated them before, but the person's changed. And we need to have that in the back of our mind as well. So it's like a moving feast. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of adapting. So when people come to your course, like they want to be managing other people for the first time, what kinds of questions do they have for you typically? Yeah, so I think... You know, a lot of people come to the course. One of the most common questions is that they've started as a manager. They're doing the managerial things and also they're trying to cover some of the work they were doing before, which is obviously tricky. And they're going to become overwhelmed by that. You know, and I guess one of the things is to have a conversation with the senior, whoever that is, to understand priorities and put it on their radar. But I do think that a lot of people miss out on using some coaching skills the basic coaching skills. In coaching, we talk about push and pull. So push is giving information and then pull is asking good questions for that person to think about the answers. And if they've thought about the answer, they're more than likely to perhaps do it. So as we spoke about earlier, the person who becomes overwhelmed because they're now the guru, this is another good way of perhaps just asking a few questions and letting that person go with it. If they've been trained and they kind of know the answer, you're teasing it out of them rather than them coming to you all the time. So it kind of feeds into the other question as well. So can you give us an example of a push question and a pull question? Okay. So what I mean by push is you're giving information. Oh, sorry. So if someone comes to you and says, oh, you know, when does that report have to be in by? Then you're just giving the answer, right? Right. You're giving the deadline. That's it. Or what's the kind of structure that you would want for this report? And I give them the answer. But if it's something that's coming up all the time, I may ask them, well, what do you think? See what I mean? So our natural impulse, maybe that's not a great example, but our natural impulse is to give answers Mm. to people. And we've got to try and counteract that a little bit by asking questions to draw it out of others. Because that people grow and they learn for themselves if we can do that. And I know probably what you're thinking, maybe there's no time for it. You see what I mean? So because people say, I haven't got any time for that. I haven't got time for have a, a quick you know, conversation. And there are times where you just give an answer mm. because it's time critical or, or something. But you, we have to try and think about, well, how can I start asking questions and getting other people to feel empowered to come up with these answers yeah so it doesn't have to take a long time you mean it doesn't have yeah, to, it doesn't, doesn't have to be a huge conversation and one of the things I don't know if this is helpful but often when I speak to account managers who maybe have a problem in the agency and maybe it just means that they have to have a conversation with their boss for example I say think of it in three columns just think about like what's the problem in one column like what's the challenge you've got what's the issue you have and the next column I say how's that impacting like what's the impact on the business maybe or impact on others or impact on you like what's the impact and then what are your suggestions next column so what's your ideas to resolve it because that way you're going in more of an empowered way to your boss so that they don't have to think about this from scratch And in a way, I suppose I got this for a years ago when a boss said to all of us, said, you know, we're all really busy. When you come with a problem, think of a couple of solutions for me so we can quickly discuss the solutions that you you see that could 
work rather than me having to think about the problem for the first time, then try to come up with a solution. So I think that's good practice. What do you think? Absolutely. They have that in hospitals, actually. Nurses use it. When the nurse has to report something, they have a structure. And this is off the, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but they do have a structure. And I think it's really, it's really good to have that. So that person knows, you know, if I do come to you, I've got something here ready, ready prepared. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I can put that in a link or something. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be really useful. So what do you think like the top three things that you should consider when you want to be managing other people, like the essential skills that you should have? I think, first of all, it's the the impact you are making through your behaviour. So the perception of you, you have to start to become self-aware. Like, what am I putting across to people? Because some behaviours are almost a green light for others to have the same behaviour. Yeah, so I've got to be aware of what I'm doing, basically, and become more self-aware. I was coaching somebody a few months ago and they were telling me a story about they used to have this feedback of when they looked up or they were on a Zoom call or <laughs> or trying to talk to other people, their facial expression was really quite harsh and the perception was that they were angry and it wasn't that. It was like they were concentrating. So, you know, when you think about what you give out, it's really important. And there was a, a really interesting study that was done by a guy called Signal Bassard, I believe. We'll be careful how I say that. But he did a study around mood and how tr- mood translates to other people, mm. and particularly managers. And through his research, he found that if the manager had a really kind of a good mood, I don't want to say, you know, they're positive, Comes in juggling. (laughs) It comes in on stilts. Yeah. Juggling at the same time. Yeah. But no, yeah, he found that that boosted productivity basically. The team felt a bit more comfortable. And the opposite was true. If they they come in with a, a low mood, maybe a little bit negative. And they found that there was a link to productivity came down. I mean, it sounds very obvious, I know. But it doesn't, in a, it doesn't in a way, actually, because when you're managing other people, you don't mm. even think about these things. It's almost like getting yourself into a different state and being aware that, like, put your woes and worries to one side because your mood is just going to infiltrate someone else's day, frankly, isn't it? And two things, I think one, another confession time, I think I was guilty of that again, because I was so stressed out and busy myself and I was managing other people. So for example, I was typing on my computer, someone would come up to my desk and I'd look up and and go, yes, you know, like not angry, angry, but I would kind of look up with not a happy face and people would sort of go, whoa, you know, and you don't (laughs) want to inflict that on people. And the second thing I say is a bit of a tip that you've just shared actually is because we are in the virtual world there is an opportunity to record yourself on Zoom. And I said this to a group the other day, and because I do it all the time, because most of my sessions are recorded, I played it back and I did not crack a smile for the first 45 minutes. And I looked like I was not angry, but I just looked a bit serious and I wasn't feeling serious. But that mood, you know, God knows how it kind of infiltrated the the group. But I think that's a really good tip, really good tip. 
now I'm really paranoid that I haven't smiled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Miserable git. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other thing is, you know, making sure that you create an environment where people can come to you. And that feeds into your mood as well. But that's, you know, that's another thing. But, you know, there's a lot of talk around psychological safety now. And this originates from a, a study that Google did on their most successful teams. It's all out there. If you Google this, it's out on the internet. But they found that people who had psychological safety in a team were more likely to give ideas. They're more likely to bring up things which perhaps were a little bit uncomfortable, you know, and maybe say what was on their mind or how they felt about something. And in a positive way, that can help the company and and the manager because you know what's actually happening in the undercurrent of the team rather than everything going underground, you know, and everybody after work bitching about what's going on at work. Which happens, like, let's be honest, which happens all too often, doesn't it? Frequently. I mean, I even get it myself, like, confidentiality is, is really important to me, but I end up working with account managers who will will share with me how they're really feeling about the leadership team, for example. And the leadership team have no idea mm. that this is the impact that they're having. And you're right, it's like these two kind of worlds going on in one company, that the reality of how everybody's sort of saying, oh, God, here he goes again, or, oh, you know, and what the perception is from the leadership team. Like, how do you stop that happening? How do you make sure that the whole company has psychological safety and they feel encouraged to speak their minds and and maybe fail? I mean, you know, I think one of those findings, wasn't it, from that study that you could actually admit you'd made a mistake and not feel you were going to be, you know, held... Ridiculed. Ridiculed, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's the repercussions. I think it's the fear of the repercussion of something happening. And it's a really difficult one. I mean, I I think it starts with the manager, really. I mean, it does, let's let's face it, it does start from above. The the, the likelihood of that Mm. starting from above, I'm not too sure about. But for definitely the new managers, they can really think about, well, how do I set this out? How do I make sure people feel comfortable you know, and actually a lot of people think it's quite soft, but it's not soft. It, it's actually dealing with the kind of maybe more sensitive things as well. Mm. You know, things that need to be said. So giving feedback to other people, but making that to be quite comfortable and quite normal to give feedback and receive feedback as well. But for the manager, you have to be quite vulnerable, really. You have to show a bit of vulnerability. Mm. And that's not to mean that you come in and you say, guys, I'm, I'm completely rubbish you know, all the time, because that's going to have a real effect on you. But, you know, if you've made a mistake, then you admit, I've made a mistake, I've been in the same position as you. See what I mean? So you're showing a bit of vulnerability. Right, which gives people more of a a feeling that they can feel comfortable doing the same thing. So setting the lead, setting the tone, and do the behaviours that you want to see in your team. Yeah, and the other thing is like having shared values as well within the team. You know, what do you expect from your team members? What can you expect from me? So you've got some kind of working behaviours that people can adhere to. You know, that's a little exercise that you can do. That's a great idea. Would you suggest that that's done in a kind of workshop environment? I mean, ideally, yeah. But, you know, in this virtual... Yeah, but a virtual virtual workshop. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't need to be hours and hours. It's just, you know, what do you expect from each other? What do you expect from me? What are things that are blockers that we can perhaps identify and work on? 
I'm almost thinking about doing the session because I actually did a very similar session once years ago in an office and we had loads of post-it notes and there were three or four columns, you know, and there were questions and it was such a brilliant exercise. Everyone was really engaged. And I think it was, I think you helped me with that one. And it was like, what are the behaviors that we want to see in our team? And oh my goodness, there were so many ideas. And actually you can use Miro, couldn't you now in a virtual environment to do the same thing. So that's a brilliant tip. Yeah. Okay. The other one I was going to say is like being comfortable giving feedback because that can be really awkward. How do you even go about giving feedback? Because I'm sure everyone's leaning in thinking, I need to give someone some feedback. How do I even start? (laughs) Well, you know, there are structures out there that you can get prepared to give the feedback. I mean, this is a big session in one of the courses that we do. You know, it's really thinking about what is it, you know, think about the person. So, you know, some people are quite sensitive to feedback and some people are, you know, bring it on. That's their kind of attitude. Doesn't, you know, doesn't really matter what it is. But I think a little bit of preparation needs to happen. And there's a few structures, obviously, as I mentioned. But I do think it, it's got to be done in like a way which is a care way, a supportive way, you know, but also taking into consideration that you're taking responsibility for it as well. So, a guy called Marcus Buckingham, he talks about this. He says, you know, a lot of feedback is quite subjective. So you've got to show or say that it's coming from you. You know, like things like, here's how I see it. You're not saying, here's how we see it. Mm. See what I mean? There's a difference. And making it factual, you know, if it's pinned to a process or something that the company has as a policy, then that's easier to give because it's there, it's written down. But other things are more subjective. I do think we obviously have to give a balance. You know, we have to make sure that people get praise. But the constructive stuff, you can't dodge it. Because, you know, a lot of people will actually save up constructive feedback for the kind of one-off performance review Mm, once a year. That's true. Which Which is pretty horrendous. You know, when you get into that review and all of a sudden you've got somebody saying that last March you did this you know, when was that? You can't remember yesterday. So it, 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 it kind of depletes the impact of the feedback. So can I just um, pause for a minute? Because I just want to summarise. Yeah. This is really useful. So when you're giving feedback, use I rather than we. And absolutely, yes. I mean, when you really think about it, Otherwise, the person's going to think, who is this we? Like, who are all these people that have kind of been talking about me in corners and whispering? And they might get some, you know, feelings of paranoia, wouldn't they? So that's a really good tip, actually, just that tip alone. And then sort of carry on. Yeah, no, I mean, the obvious ones are not in front of other people. You know, and I, I, every time I say that, I just feel it's so obvious. But yeah. I do hear other people say that that actually happens it's to them It's not obvious. It's not obvious. I remember, <laughs> okay, let me, another confession. Well, actually, it's my boss, like we, we had an internal meeting. I remember it to this day. And he asked a question to the room. And I thought I might have an answer. And actually, I was quite junior. I'd never spoken up in my life in a meeting, internal meeting. I was totally intimidated. Even thinking about what I wanted to say made my face glow hot red but I thought no go on Jen do it do it put your suggestion forward anyway so I I gave my suggestion he turned to me and said that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard on my life he said that right and honestly my my face was burning my heart was heart rate rate up I felt awful like talk about 
someone pulling the rug from underneath your feet. I mean, in hindsight, obviously, that was an awful, shitty thing for him to do. But what did it encourage? It encouraged my future behavior never to speak up in a meeting, never to put forward an idea, because you're going to feel awful. And it was humiliating, quite frankly, in front of everybody. And, and exactly. And then what he's doing really is conveying the message that that is OK to do that as well, mm. you know, to other people. So then you're, you're kind of building a culture of that or we'll never say anything because you're going to get the same treatment as Jenny got. So, yeah, you're building a culture, which is quite a negative thing. Mm. The other thing I wanted to mention is being aware of the feedback sandwich. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this can be, I'm not going to say to completely dismiss it, because in some situations, like if you've got a specialist who's working and has been, you know, experienced, they just say, okay, well, give me the feedback. What is it? Good, bad, what is it? That's okay for some people. But the feedback sandwich most people know about. Mm. So if your boss says to you, look, I need to talk to you a minute, and all of a sudden they launch into, look, you're doing really, really well. You're doing excellent. You know, we're not stupid. No. We're waiting for the next bit to come yeah. in. And we all know that when you hear that word, but, mm. you know, you know that the negative bit's coming in. And what do we all kind of focus on? You know, we all focus on the negatives normally. We don't really hear the praise. So, you know, the feedback sandwiches, the praise, the negatives and the praise what we end up doing is we don't hear about the praise. We just are left with those negatives. And that's what we dwell on for the whole of the weekend, perhaps, if it's done on a Friday. So, yeah, just to make sure we're aware that people know that. And I do think, yes, we need a balance. Yes, people need to know perhaps what they're doing right. But be aware of that one. Be aware of it. And and just to be balanced in it. Okay. So you said something earlier on that I wanted to just bring back in that you said, you know, don't save up all of the praise or the negativity for the annual meeting. You know, this is what you did last March. So what you're saying is give feedback on a regular basis, but you're saying don't use that typical structure of, you know, praise, shit in the middle and and praise at the end because everyone (laughs) just, well, I just thought I would (laughs) because it's my podcast. So what's the alternative? Can you just share something that, like, what's the alternative to doing that? Okay. So, there's a structure which is like, okay, what's the action or behavior? What actually happened? And be specific with that. And then give the impact of it or ask for the impact of that. Mm. So this happened or I've noticed this. The impact for me was this. Or, you know, you could say in a non-patronizing way, what do you think is the impact of that? Yeah. And a simple one is to then get into, well, what can we do about it? What's next? Almost. Nice. Okay, so it's like the action, the impact, and then uh, what do we do next about it? I mean, there are a lot out there. And without launching into yeah. the course right now, there's a lot more around it that we could talk about. But it's just to give flavour. That's really helpful as well, I think, honestly, because I think, you know, as I said before, I never had any training into how to do it properly. So a lot of people are finding their way with managing others and hoping that they're doing a good job. Yeah, of course. And I think... You know, especially on a course, if you give too much information, people become like, what? You know, where are we with this? And if you can just make it very simplified with a few principles around it, that's what people take away. Can you give us an example, maybe of someone you've met in your life that you think are one of the most successful people managers that you've seen? You know what? I've had a lot of 
really good people managers myself. And I've also, you know, in the past had a lot of really, really bad ones. Mm -hmm. And this is why I love this subject so much, actually, because I can see the effect that managers have on people and their development. And I was a manager years ago, made all the mistakes and realized that it's not an easy job, but there are some things that we can do to make it a little bit easier and to help other people, because that's what you're doing. You're affecting other people and their lives. I mean, I know you said like the person that I think you're talking about is I used to work for Virgin, Virgin Atlantic, Richard, yeah. Richard Branson. So, I mean, I, th- I think obviously I don't know the guy personally, but what he did for people was usually he, he had a people first kind of attitude, I thought. And I think it's just about being human and, you know, treating people equally and inclusively as well. Well, that's let me tell the story because I know you're too. You, you feel like it's you know you shouldn't say it, but you spent time with it because you. How many years did you work at Virgin Atlantic in the training department? Oh, years. Seven or eight years. Years. Yeah. And he was very accessible, wasn't he? I mean, you spent like I don't know half a day once, and you had to spend with him. So you <laughs> you were observing, and also yeah, you, you did end up staying at his house. Come on. You weren't going to say that. I was amazed. Like, I couldn't believe you. it was. And you said, you, I, you didn't even say this recently, but I remember you told me years ago that he got everyone sitting around his kitchen table and was having a chat. Do you remember you told me that? that? Yeah, yeah. And he asked yeah. you for feedback, didn't he? I, I can't remember the details, but... Yeah, I, I won't go into details, but he was what he was doing was trying to get opinions and ideas of a certain situation that they were having in the airline at that time. And, uh, you know, that just tells you that he was open to, you know, other people's ideas. And I wasn't anybody special at all, you know. I was a trainer. And that's what I liked about him. He didn't have that hierarchical kind of feel, you know, I'm the chairman of this company. It was just human to human. And I think that's the takeaway from that story, really, isn't it? It's like he was asking for feedback, which I think is a really good thing in itself. Yeah. You know, what do you all yeah. think? Because then people that are in your team feel more empowered to make the answer live, don't they? If you, Unless rather than you imposing your views or imposing how you think it should be. Yeah, exactly. He, he's exactly. always struck me. I mean, I, I've never even met him, but he's always struck me as a personality in the in the public eye that just looks like a great person to work for. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, other people have had bad experiences, but Maybe. I think in general, for mine, it was, it was good. But, and also he kind of empowered people to make decisions as well, mm. you know, and also to not always be the one that's kind of making a decision, but asking first mm. before you actually make a decision as a manager mm. or, you know, leader of the company, let's say. But yeah, inclusivity, I think, was the major thing. Are there any questions that people should be asking you about managing other people that they don't ask? I think, you know, understanding differences in in others is one thing. And, you know, making sure that, you know, we all have differences in terms of how we're motivated. We're all motivated by different things. And some of the mistakes that I think managers can make is, you know, try and motivate in the same way that they're motivated. And it just doesn't work. So it's trying to get underneath, you know, what drives the person and knowing a little bit more about them. I mean, you know, there's been loads of books written about it. A guy called Patrick Lencioni, one of my favourites, he talks about um, three signs of a miserable job. 
he had a book that was called that. And he was saying that anonymity is quite a miserable thing, right? If people don't know you within your business or the manager doesn't know you, how miserable is that going to be? But it's not, you know, it's not kind of being poking, you know, how many times you've been divorced and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's about knowing a little bit about the person. So if they've got kids, mm. you know, maybe they have difficulties. They might need a bit of time to let's pick up the kids. You know, it's, it's the nuances. That's what I'm getting at. Do you know what? This is such a good insight, actually. It's to understand what's important to other people. And because of this remote way of working, for example, I know that some agencies, for example, recognise that everyone's zoomed out. And they're really, really busy. So they've made a policy that they don't have any internal meetings scheduled for Fridays, for example. Because unfortunately, you know, you're working a million miles an hour often in an agency. And if suddenly you look at your diary and it's just meeting and meeting and meeting, you don't actually get anything done. And I don't know what you've been hearing from different businesses you're working with, but everyone seems to be working harder and more intensely in this remote environment from home because you don't have that you know, wind down time from driving in the car, going home and things. So that understanding of everyone's individual scenario, like the homeschooling, you know, all the parents that I feel so sorry for that had to, well, you included, that had to homeschool whilst you're trying to have a full-time job that's really busy. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that's come up a few times on courses is, you know, having clear channels of how do I communicate when I need to and what kind of software we're using for what somebody said this like a couple of weeks ago they said look we don't know when we're doing a piece of work where do I add that is it in Microsoft Mm. is it in a meeting on Zoom so I think those kind of norms need to be clear you know when you're communicating if you need to get hold of me for an emergency WhatsApp's the best one you know whatever it is for you and so make sure that your team know how to communicate to you and what kind of contribution they have to make and where they make that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, you know, is it on Microsoft Teams? Is it on Slack? I, is it on email? Is it on Slack? Yeah. Is it on email? What's the best thing? And I, this is a couple of questions I had. And that's a quite a common question. Mm. So, you know, for a manager to be able to get that across, I think is really important. You see, this comes back to the point about time management. Time management, everyone's struggling with time to get anything done. And what I've noticed on Zoom when people are talking to me, that there's these pop-up sounds, bing, bing, bing. You know, when it's either, I don't know what's going on, but it's probably an email that's come through. And their attention is distracted. And there's this fascinating study that says, if you're concentrating on a task and you're distracted, it takes up to 25 minutes to get back to the task that you were focusing on. Now, can you imagine how unproductive your day is if you've got pop-ups and you need that deep time to actually work on things that that lend themselves to more concentration, like proposal writing or generating ideas. But everyone seems to be in this pop-up world, WhatsApp, email, and it's almost like we don't help ourselves, do we? No, exactly. There's a book about it. The guy's name's Cal Newport, I think his name is. And he talks about deep work. Yes. And he's saying that it's just making the point that we don't really have time to do some really concentrated quality work at times because we've got so many other things going on. There's so many people talking about the distraction kind of world that we're living in. And, you know, even on, on courses, you know, sometimes on courses you get somebody who's like, this side they're not facing the camera but they're obviously doing some work 
at the same time. Yeah. And it's just impossible. Of course it. You, know, you can't concentrate on more than one thing at a time, really. I, I agree. And probably a completely separate podcast about it. But to your point about if you are then in a leadership position and managing others, it's almost like telling your team, look, for these hours or these blocks of time, I'm not going to be available on email. But if you need me in an emergency, like call my phone. So to have one agreed way that they can interrupt you if really, really necessary. Yeah, yeah. I was always impressed with the one manager I used to work with. He used to record a message every single day to tell you what he was doing. So, you know, he would say, you know, I'm in meetings from two till four. If you need me, you can get hold of me at this point. So it was for clients as well. But I just thought it was a really nice touch. He would record it every single day. That's really good, actually. That's a good tip. That was Ian, by the way. Oh, was it? Okay. What books or sources of inspiration would you recommend people read if they're interested in learning more about managing others? I mean, I'm a bit of a hoarder when it comes to management books. I always kind of think, oh, what's new and shiny? Don't read them. <laughs> just, just put them on the shelf so it looks yeah. like you're very well read. <laughs> yeah, look how many things I yeah. want. But, so, you know, sometimes you dip in and out of them, you know, because there's certain things about them that you kind of think, oh, I'm interested in that bit. But there's a few. I mean, Five Dysfunctions of a Team is really good. Patrick Lencioni, and he makes the point in that that conflict is quite good not particularly between people, you know, disliking people, but it's about ideas. It's about ways forward rather than thinking, oh gosh, you know, Jenny hasn't got the same kind of view as me. And that being a problem, it should be a positive. It should be a good thing that we are discussing, you know, ways forwards and tasks. So I do think Patrick Lincioni is really good. And he's got about five or six management books and they're, they're great. I really like them. Adam Grant is really good. You know, he covers a lot to do with management, but also things outside of management as well and that make you think. And I would also look at emotional intelligence as well. You know, Travis Bradbury and Daniel Goldman. It's about, you know, a big part of it is self-awareness, you know, and how your emotions, you can think about when you are what they call emotionally hijacked. Okay. And, there's another phrase for it, which which is the amygdala hijack, where certain things will make you respond in a way perhaps which you didn't want to respond. So they're triggers. And I think as a manager, to have a view on what your triggers are and how you deal and manage those triggers is really important. So that's another area I would definitely get you to look at as well. There's a new one, which is called the evolved leader as well. I'd look at that. And a few coaching books, which I I would. Someone's going to be spending a lot of time on Amazon. I I know I could go on and on here, but I I could give some recommendations in the notes if you like. Fantastic, we'll we'll do that, Matt. That's great. So, just finally, can you tell us a bit more about your course? And if people are interested in coming on this, managing others for new managers, how can people book? Yeah, I've got various different ways. If you want to contact me, contact me and Matt at Bottled Learning. And then I can give you the dates of what's coming up next. So probably be the easiest way. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. That was, I think, hopefully that was really going to give a lot of food for thought for people who are maybe in the position that they're going to be managing someone or they're already managing someone and hoping to get it right. So thank you so much for sharing so much. It's been brilliant. That's all right. Great. Thanks. We enjoyed it. 
I hope you enjoyed this chat and have come away with some ideas for yourself when it comes to managing other people. And please do get in contact with Matt to find out more details about his course that's coming up for managing others for new managers. And I will link to his email address in the show notes. Until the next time, have a great week.